invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel according to John, chapter 20. I'll begin reading at verse 19 to verse 31, the end of the chapter. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 1077. Last Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday morning, we looked at the previous verses and how Jesus appeared to Mary and then to the uh, yeah to Mary at the empty tomb. She was frantic and concerned that someone had taken the body of her Lord, and she went to run and tell the disciples. And the two disciples, Peter and John, ran to the tomb and they saw an empty tomb. And ran back to, went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, uh, she saw two angels, and the angels asked her why she was weeping, and she was looking for the body of her Lord. Somebody took the Lord. And then after saying that, she looked and she saw someone who seemed to her to be a gardener, but who was really Jesus Christ, the risen one, and Jesus revealed himself to her by calling out her name, saying Mary or Miriam. And she knew then that it was the Lord, her teacher, her rabbi. And he, she clung to him, and Jesus commissions her to go tell the disciples. At verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. And now we come to verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thus far the reading of God's word made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. This morning, congregation, I want to look at verses 19 to 23. Those verses will constitute my sermon text for this morning. Uh, let's go before our, our God in a time of prayer and ask his blessing. Father in heaven, apart from your spirits, we can do nothing. Spiritual truth requires 
the Spirit of the living God to open our minds and our eyes to the truth of the Word. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would remove hardened hearts, that you would remove the scales from our eyes, that you would remove, O Lord, those things that would hinder us from seeing the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, we pray. And may you be glorified. And may we be equipped to serve you in your kingdom as we serve the risen Christ, who is King and Lord of all. In Jesus' name, amen. In Luke's gospel, there's a similar story here as Jesus appears to the disciples. Luke also includes this appearance, the risen Lord appearing to his disciples in Luke chapter 24. And in Luke's gospel, he notes that Jesus revealed himself before he appeared to the disciples in this undisclosed location. He appeared to two of them on the road to Emmaus. You may remember that. Two disciples were on the road to Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and this man appears to them, and they don't recognize him. Their eyes, the scriptures say, were kept from recognizing him. And then, by the time Jesus talks to them and teaches them about the word of God and how the Christ must suffer and die, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They recognized him, in fact, when he broke bread with them and blessed the breaking of the bread and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened. This is Jesus. This is the risen Lord who is before our eyes. Look, he is eating with us. He is talking with us. He spoke the word to the disciples, and he fulfilled what the Jews called the Tanakh. He fulfilled the Torah, which is the law. He fulfilled the Nevi'im, which is the prophets. And he fulfilled the Ketuvim, which is the writings or the Psalms, the Proverbs, Job. He fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures, and he unpacked the scriptures, Luke says, before the disciples, the two on the road to Damascus, and their eyes and minds were open to understand. In our text this morning, the risen Lord appears to his disciples in an undisclosed location, and he appears first miraculously before them. And Luke also records this appearance. John says at verse 19, look with me in your Bible, on that evening, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Earlier in the day, the same day, Mary saw the risen Lord, went to the disciples, as I said earlier. Peter and John went home, but they didn't see the risen Lord yet. They only saw an empty tomb. But now Mary, who went to the disciples and said, I've seen the risen Lord. On that same day, after Mary had said that, that same day, that Sunday, the disciples are assembled together in one place, except Thomas, 
John makes the very important point that the doors of the room that they were in were locked for fear of the Jews. Only a few disciples saw only an empty tomb and only a few met Jesus on the road to Emmaus. But they have all yet to see the risen Lord. And as they were assembled there, they were what? Afraid of the Jews. Think about it for a second. What do we expect? Their Lord, their master, their teacher was crucified, dead, and buried. We're two millennium removed from the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. These disciples experienced this great tribulation, this great trauma in their lives. And they were public enemy number one. They feared the Jews because the Jews sought to crush Jesus' movement, Jesus' teachings, and those who followed him. The will of the Jews was accomplished. Crucify Jesus. But let's finish the job. Let's go after the disciples. Let's go after the disciples. Destroy the threat. Eliminate the threat. Let's kill them. Let's go after them. And so they locked the doors, and Jesus, the text says, came and stood among them. <laughs> the risen Lord came and stood among them. In Luke's gospel, he says that the disciples, upon seeing the risen Lord, were frightened and scared. They were scared by his miraculous appearance. They thought he was a spirit, some kind of ghost. In our text, the scriptures don't say how he came and stood among them. It just says that he came and stood among them. It doesn't say that he walked through the wall or a door. It just says that he came and stood among them. Did Jesus possess a resurrected body that can go through walls and manipulate the laws of nature, manipulate the material world. We have to remember that Jesus rose bodily. He had a human nature, a human body. But did his resurrected body have the ability to walk through a wall, or did he just simply appear? Some Bible interpreters rightly caution us not to confuse his human nature with his divine nature. Yes, they're united, but they're not confused together. He was still in his risen body, having a human physical body, as we will see. But his divine nature is omniscient. It's omnipresent. It's present everywhere. He had a divine nature, which is spirit. But our text clearly teaches that his miraculous appearance was Jesus in the flesh and not some kind of phantom ghost or apparition. He was truly before his disciples. It was truly a miracle. Like the resurrection of Christ, that he was raised from the dead was a miracle. So too his appearance here is one of miracle. He came and stood before these disciples. And as he stands before the disciples, what does he do? He bestows his blessing. 
He bestows his peace upon the disciples. Twice the risen Lord says, peace be with you. This is a common greeting in those days. In fact, it's still used today. When Jews meet each other, they say, shalom, peace be with you. We would say, the Lord bless you or God bless you. It's to wish upon a person well-being. It's to wish upon a person prosperity or God's goodness to you. It's to wish a person well. Not to think evil of a person or wish evil upon a person, but wish a person well. And they receive this great miracle, this, this trauma that they, they see the risen Christ before them and they're scared and frightened, but Jesus says, peace be with you. He bestows his peace. He shows them his hands inside. He calms and comforts them like he did Mary Magdalene. And the Lord's presence, the Lord's bestowal of peace upon his disciples is grounded in the fact that he is risen from the dead. How can these disciples who are frightened and scared and in fear of the Jews suddenly have joy and gladness because the risen Christ appears before them. And he is the one who speaks peace into their hearts. It's not just a well-wishing, that commonplace greeting that they said to one another in those days. No, when Jesus said it, it was more profound, more, more deep in its understanding and teaching. Jesus is risen in fulfillment of his promise. He foretold his crucifixion and his death, and on the third day he will be raised from the dead. And Jesus now bestows his peace upon them because in him Christians have peace with God. Christians have peace with God. Do you know the peace of God in Christ? Peace is the absence of enmity and hostility toward one another, towards another person. That's one way peace is defined. Peace is also used when nations are not at enmity or hostility towards one another. When we talk about Christianity, when we talk about peace, we're talking about that enmity between God and man being erased, being eradicated through the cross. And Jesus, through his cross and by his resurrection which is the grounds for the peace that he bestows upon his disciples. Grants them a cheerful and joyful heart because he is risen. He is before us. All men and women everywhere are at enmity with God because we are sinners and sin separates us from God. And the only way to peace with God is through the cross, through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen one. Because it is through the cross, by his blood, that we are healed and forgiven and brought into relationship of peace with God. Jesus has more in mind than a simple greeting or a common greeting. He's bringing true, he's bestowing true peace upon his disciples. 
In Colossians 1, Paul says at verse 19 to 22, For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with whom? With God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Jesus stands miraculously before his disciples in this undisclosed location. Behind locked doors, he appears. And the disciples are frightened, and he bestows his peace that passes all understanding upon his disciples. You see, the grief and the mourning and the sorrow turned into joy and gladness just like he did with Mary Magdalene, just like he does to you, Christian, and for you. Thirdly, the risen Lord confirms his identity. When he had said this, when he had said, Peace be with you, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Here's the confirmation of his identity. Here's the confirmation of his resurrected life. And here's the very ground of their peace. Look, touch the scars. It is I. Look, touch my side. Look at my wounds on my hands. It is I, which were the result of a crucifixion. Think about it. Think about it for a second here. Just a few days ago, he was beaten, brutally beaten, battered, and killed. And now, three days later, he has risen from the dead, showing them the marks on his hands and side. No ICU, no extended hospital stay. No, he was dead and raised to life. Raised to life. And by his wounds... By the wounds that you see in my hands, disciples, you are healed. You have peace with God. He's not only confirming his identity, it's, it's really I. It is really I before you. Jesus is showing them his credentials. It is I. I am the risen one. The credentials of his resurrected life and the mark of the new creation inaugurated in his death and resurrection have come to pass. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus, there we read, eats bread. He eats fish with his disciples, further confirming his identity that he is alive. He has a body, a real body. A real humanity. In the early church, there was a movement called docetism. 
and I've shared this with the Sunday school class a few weeks ago, and it comes from the Greek word dokane, and dokane means to see, seem, to seem like something is real but not real. And so there was a heresy in the early church called docetism, which comes from that Greek word, that Jesus only seemed to be human, but was in fact really a spirit, that he only seemed to be in the flesh, but he really was in the flesh, wasn't in the flesh. In fact, the Apostle John faces this heresy in his writings. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus has come in the flesh is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, says John. You heard was coming and is now come in the world. And in John's second letter, the short letter, he writes, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. John's goal in his writings is to prove that Jesus Christ came in the flesh that he has risen in the flesh, that he possesses a truly human nature, body and soul, and he is risen. And he writes these things so that you have the testimony of Scripture, that you may know and believe, and that by believing you may have eternal life. Did you know, friends, Christians, did you know that it was the preaching of the resurrection that was on the tongues of the apostles and prophets in the early church. That is what they preached. That is what they preached consistently and faithfully. I wonder how much of the resurrection of Christ is being preached today in churches. I wonder that he was truly bodily raised from the dead. There's been a question about whether or not Jesus still has his credentials in heaven. That is, does Jesus still have the wounds in heaven at the right hand of the Father? The scripture teach that, well, it's not clear. John Calvin didn't believe that Jesus has the wounds in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He believed that at his ascension, Jesus was glorified and no longer needs the wounds in his hands and side and feet. They only serve to confirm that Jesus was alive to his disciples. Is he correct? It's possible. It's possible. Because there is a difference between the body that Jesus possessed at his resurrection and the 40 days that he lived before he ascended and the body he possessed and received when he ascended into heaven was glorified. Because you read Revelation and you see a glimpse of Jesus in glory and majesty. 
does he possess those wounds in heaven? Whether, whether he does or not possess those wounds in his flesh in heaven is not really known at the end of the day. But the fact remains that the wounds of Jesus that are his credentials of his identity and resurrected life are your credentials as well. I want to say that again. His credentials of his wounds, of his suffering and death, are your credentials to get into heaven. You go to a concert or a special event, you've heard of backstage passes. You need special credentials to go backstage and meet an honorary person or to meet someone popular or featured guest. If you go to the White House, you must have certain credentials around your neck that indicate who you are and why you belong there and why you should have the access to the person, the president, let's say or any other governing official? Do you have the credentials to have access to these people? You just don't go into the White House and enter the property and say, here I am, I'm coming in. Each person must have his, his or her own credentials. Jesus Christ purchased for us the credentials we need to have access to God. And his credentials are his wounds, his scars, namely his death, his risen life. And so that his credentials become your credentials, Christian. And so when you ask God for forgiveness, what do you plead? How do you ask God? I plead nothing but the blood of Jesus. I plead nothing but the wounds of the Christ who suffered and died for me. And yet on the third day rose from the dead. When you and I meet God, we better have the credentials Christ purchased for us. We better trust and have faith in His crucified and risen life. Do you have the credentials necessary? To enter God's presence. Do you have the credentials needed to enter heaven? What are you relying upon to be accepted by God? What are you relying upon to have peace with God? What are you relying upon to be made right with God? What are you relying upon to be saved of your sins? The risen Lord confirms his identity, his resurrected life before the disciples, and we have that testimony for us in his word. And the Spirit of God works that faith and repentance in our hearts to not only 
read it, but to believe it. Like the disciples who saw the Lord but didn't recognize him, had their eyes covered, so to speak. They needed their eyes made open to see the risen Christ and for who he is. We too need that. We, knew, we too need the scales removed. Lastly, the risen Lord commissions his disciples. Jesus says at verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ was sent by the Father to do the Father's will. And Jesus will send his disciples to be his witnesses in the world to do the will of Christ, to do the will of the Father in heaven, to continue the work of Christ on earth. To continue the work of Christ on earth by the power of the Spirit. And this is seen in the high priestly prayer in chapter 17 where Jesus prayed that his disciples would be in the world, but not of the world. He prayed that they would know the truth and be sanctified by the truth. He prayed that they may go forth and be witnesses to the gospel of Christ, that they may proclaim the gospel of peace and reconciliation with God. That is the mission of the church, and that is the calling of each Christian to be salt and life. Friends, we have been given the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead is the same Spirit who dwells in you. To bear witness to the word and truth of God. To be bold in our witness. Jesus says earlier in the Gospel of John in chapters 14 to 16 that he will send another paraclete, another advocate, another comforter, and his name is the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Blessed Trinity, and he will be the agent by which, by which God will work through his people, work through the church to bring about regeneration, new creation, to bring about resurrection life in his people. Here you see in this short passage, verses 19 to 23, the work of the triune God. The work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus says to them, listen what he says, or what he does. Jesus breathes on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Just as John begins his gospel with allusions to the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John begins his gospel, in the beginning, the word was with God. The word was God, and the word is God. Just like in the beginning, the Spirit hovered over the world God created, and by the word, all things were created, land and sea, fish and fowl, human beings created in God's image. So too John concludes his gospel with the work, the creative power of the Holy Spirit, the regenerative Holy Spirit who brings about conversion and new creation. But notice what he says, what John says, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
I thought they received the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. How is this different than the day of Pentecost when Jesus poured out his spirit upon the disciples and all the Christians present on that day? So then when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, did he really bestow his spirit upon them? Or was it pointing to a future event that would occur? Was this a symbolic gesture of the Lord Jesus Christ that pointed ahead when the disciples were to receive the Holy Spirit? I think many Bible interpreters are correct to say that Jesus here seems to symbolically say, receive the Holy Spirit, that, it, that Jesus is pointing to that day of Pentecost when the Spirit will be poured out upon them. Because in John's Gospel, what's the biblical reason for this? What's the reason for people saying this, interpreters saying this? In John's Gospel, we see a lot of symbolism. For example, in John chapter 13, Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. And in that act of washing, he tells his disciples that he makes them clean. And in that act of washing, he's pointing forward. It's a symbolic act of the, the blood of Christ that will wash away their sins and make them clean. Because only the blood of the lamb, only the blood of the Passover lamb makes us clean. And so Jesus is pointing ahead, pointing ahead by this symbolic act of washing feet to his death on the cross when he will wash away the sins of his people. Similarly, receive the Holy Spirit, a symbolic act when Jesus, in fact, will pour out his Spirit on the day of Pentecost and that the church will be commissioned. Jesus will com commissions his disciples to preach the gospel of Christ, crucified and risen, in the power of the Spirit, to preach the forgiveness of sins through him. And the church is given authority. Listen to what it says here. Jesus says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The church and her officers hold the keys of the kingdom of God. What does this mean? These keys open or close the kingdom. In other words, when the gospel is being preached, that key, the keys are being proclaimed. The preaching of the word is the keys of the kingdom. And when you hear the word of God, do you take the key that is being preached and believe it? Do you receive it with a believing heart? And thus receiving forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. When the gospel's preached and someone refuses to believe, repent and believe the gospel. Forgiveness is withheld. No, there's no peace between the sinner and God. This is a weighty calling that the risen Christ places upon his officers, his church, his disciples. 
who will go forth preaching the gospel, and those who believe in Jesus Christ will be saved of their sins, receive forgiveness of sins, and receive the gift of eternal life. The kingdom of God is open to such a person. Congregation of Christ, where is the risen Lord now? After he commissioned the disciples and, pour, and, and ascended to the right hand of the Father and poured out his spirit, he continues his earthly ministry through the disciples while he is at the right hand of the Father. And he's doing so by the power of the Spirit. And the church, even today, fulfills this mandate to go and make disciples. The church has received the Holy Spirit to exercise the keys of the kingdom. And we are recipients or beneficiaries of his grace. We are beneficiaries of his wounds, of his death, of his risen life, of his ascension to the right hand of the Father. We are beneficiaries of his grace and goodness. We have received all the blessed blessings of God the Father through Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, appeared to his disciples. And we have this divine witness for us in the scriptures. And as the Apostle John says, Now now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These things are written... John the Apostle saw the risen Christ. He experienced and knew the Savior. He touched, he felt, he heard the risen Savior. And now he records, he writes down for us all that he witnessed so that you and I would hear and believe this testimony and know Jesus and his peace and his love for us. This is good news. This is good news. And may the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you, Christian, this day and every day. Amen. Let's pray. O gracious God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you continue to bestow your peace upon us through the Holy Gospel, by the power of your Spirit, even as we come to you in prayer and petition your throne of grace and seek your face, you fill us with your spirit and fill us with your grace and the joy of your salvation. We thank you, O Lord, that we have peace with God and that the credentials of Christ are our credentials, that we have access to you, O God, through the crucified and risen one, the one who appeared to the disciples and through whom and by the Spirit we have a written testimony of this glorious truth that we believe. Father, I pray where there is unbelief that you would create in their hearts faith. Faith to believe that Jesus is the Christ who has come in the flesh and he has risen. We pray, O Lord, for those who doubt that you would grant them 
faith. We pray for those who are wandering that you would grant them the, the water of life that sustains the soul, the Lord Jesus Christ and his spirit. We pray for those who are strengthened in faith. May you continue to grow them in a deeper faith and walk with you. Oh, Father, we pray that you would build us up as a holy body, a holy temple, a holy priesthood, that we together would proclaim the risen Christ in both word and in deed. For in Jesus' name.